So here's the passage. We're just working our way uh, chapter by chapter through Luke's gospel. And here's what it says. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. So get the idea here that um, Jesus is casting out demons and the explanation from many of the people is, oh, he's in league with Satan. And Beelzebul is, a, is another name for Satan. It, it literally means Lord of the Flies. So that's where that book comes from, okay? Uh, some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, now he's going to address the accusation that he's in league with Satan, and he's going to address that with two responses. The first one is this. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. So Jesus is quoting Abraham Lincoln here. Barb got that one. <laughs> and if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. So that's his first argument. We'll look at that. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons, your, uh, your exorcists, cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. We'll, we'll talk about what that means. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. You, you got that all straight? All right, have a good day, right? So the, the passage begins with Jesus casting out a demon, and we read about him doing that all over the place. But this time, the crowd, some in the crowd, and, and we know from other verses that the Pharisees uh, say, wait a minute, his power to cast out demons comes from Satan. These are occultic powers. Don't follow him. He is with Satan. And Jesus gives two responses. Now, let me group those two responses together under this heading. In essence, here's what he's saying. Your thinking reveals your spiritual depravity. Boy, are you not thinking clearly here. And you're thinking, accusing me of being in league with Satan. I'm the son of God. You're accusing me of, of casting out demons by the power of Satan. You are, are spiritually depraved. That's the big heading. Now, uh, here are, here's his first argument of why their thinking is nutty. 
the house divided. But knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. When a kingdom has a civil war, it's going to destroy itself. Hence, Lincoln quoting this. The house divided will not stand. And a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. Now, um, I believe Satan can do occultic miracles to advance his kingdom. Okay? I believe Satan can use false prophets and false teachers and false churches to build his kingdom. But why would Satan infiltrate people with demons only to send Jesus around to cast those demons out? That clearly seems to be going against Satan's ultimate purpose, to spread his kingdom. Right? So, so Jesus is saying, so you're accusing me of, by the power of Satan, destroying Satan's kingdom. You haven't thought that through. Now, I guess we could speculate that Satan is so deceptive that he's a double agent. Right? So he's infiltrating people with demons, and then he sends around his own agent to cast them out. So we think... The agent, the, the, the exorcist, is of God when in reality he's really a double agent working for Satan. Okay? Um, that's pretty complex. Right? You know, a, uh, a hobby of mine is, <laughs> is looking at conspiracy theories, not because I buy them but because I'm fascinated with how the human mind, once it embraces something, can hear any evidence and realign it to support the conspiracy theory. Right? So you talk to somebody who's convinced that men didn't land on the moon or that, uh, you know, you name the conspiracy theory, JFK, uh, whatever, um, Give them any piece of evidence, and they will use it to support the theory. Right? I think that's kind of what's going on here. The, the, the people are thinking, you know, this Jesus, he threatens our worlds with his teaching, which points out our, our hypocrisy, with his authority, which is unquestionable. So we got to discredit this guy. He, we, we, and here's how we have to get, and, and I think they really believe this. Here's how we have to, to discredit him, right? Let's show that he's not of God. But somebody says, but he's casting out all these demons. Uh, about that. Yeah, he, uh, he's got to go. So the explanation is, he can't be from God. He must be doing it by Satan. Right? And Jesus cuts through all of this and says, what about the destruction of 
Uh, why, why would Satan do that? And, and this assumes that when, when Jesus casts out demons, he's not just doing one or two here. He is doing an, a, a massive exorcism of demons all over. We're going to look at that in just a second. So he says, just think about it. Satan's kingdom would be divided if I, by the power of Satan, am casting out demons. So that's his first argument, the, the house divided argument. Now, here's the second argument. The what about your guy's argument? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, Satan, by whom do your sons, your followers, your exorcists cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Now, this is kind of complicated. And, and I actually enjoy when I come across a complicated scripture, thinking about it and wondering, what, what is he really saying here? And uh, there could be, in my little mind, three possibilities of what he's saying about the Jewish exorcists. First, he could be saying that, yeah, there really are some faithful Pharisees out there who are casting out demons. And the argument would be really simple. If you're throwing me under the bus, you've got to throw your guys under the bus. Right? But they don't want to do that because they rely on their guys who are casting out demons to prove that they are right. So Jesus is saying, hey, you can't have it both ways. If you toss me under the bus, you have to toss your own guys under the bus. Um, now, that's, that's a possibility. It could be that. But I see a bigger contrast going on between the I and the your. There seems to be a, um, uh, th that we're not on the same page here. So let's put that as a possibility. Another possibility would be that these Pharisees or these exorcists are corrupt. Yet... God still uses them to cast out demons. You go, what? Well, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and do many miracles? And I will say to you, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Here you have unbelievers preaching, doing miracles, Casting out Jesus, yet they end up in hell. They're not believers. But maybe God uses the corrupt TV evangelist to preach the gospel and save people. Could that be what's going on here? Could be. A third possibility is that the, the evangelists, the Jewish evangelists, were trying to cast out demons and they were failures or frauds, outright frauds, and most people saw through it. So Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm casting out all these demons, yet look at your guys. They can't even do it. They're failing. They're frauds. Um, who's really of God here and who's really of Satan? Now, let me, let me tell you why I kind of lean in that direction. Number one, every commentary I read kind of leans in that direction. But here's the, the, the thing I want you to think about. He goes on to say, but if it's by the finger of God, 
that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, that term, the finger of God, is not just a random thing Jesus is saying. It's a phrase that was used by the Egyptian magicians when Moses, when God used Moses to bring the plagues upon Egypt. The fraud magicians realized that Moses was doing this by the finger of God. So if you remember, uh, first Moses shows up to Pharaoh and he throws his staff on the ground and it turns into a snake. And Moses calls his magicians and he says, hey, can you do that trick? And they come in with their staffs and throw it on the ground and it turns into a snake. And there are, are uh, magicians who use a, a cobra. They kind of hypnotize it in a certain way and it becomes stiff. Okay. Now, whether they were using occult magic or sleight of hand magic, um, I, I don't know. But then Moses' snake eats their snakes, so God wins, right? So then uh, Moses brings, or God brings through Moses the next plague. The water in Egypt turns to blood, and the magicians duplicate that miracle. Could have been done with dye, Right? Then there's the frog plague, and the magicians bring frogs. Again, whether it was some occultic thing or uh, a magic trick, I, I don't know. Okay? But here's the thing the next plague is the gnat plague. And look what happens. Uh, so Moses brings gnats all over Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So here we have false or we have a failure. Right? So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, "This is the finger of God. We see it. We're frauds." We're failures, but this is the finger of God. It is so crystal clear. You got to see it, Pharaoh. And what's Pharaoh's response? But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So because Jesus uses that term, I kind of am leaning in the direction that Jesus is saying, I'm like Moses, and you guys are like the magicians. You're a bunch of frauds. And everybody kind of knows it. Right. Do you remember in Acts 19? So now Luke, who wrote this in Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. And he talks about some Jewish exorcists, and there were seven of them, all the sons of a, a man named Sceva. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, now here's their, here's their formula, here's their exorcism formula. I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. <laughs> so not I cast you out in the powerful name of Jesus whom I worship, but that Jesus, we don't know who he is, who that Paul guy, has. He's, we learned his formula, so we're going to try it. Um, so how did, how did it go? Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know. Paul, I recognize, but who are you? 
And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Oops. It's another argument that when Luke writes about this, some of the Jewish evangelists, they were failures or frauds. Now, um, here, I'm going to, I brought my, this is my uh, pen holder from my desk, okay? And I'm just going to set that there. And then over here, um, there's a guy named Josephus, who's a Jewish historian who wrote about the times uh, of, of Jesus, but from a totally secular perspective. And he writes this, for I have seen a certain man of my own country whose name was Eleazar, releasing people that were demonical in the presence of Vespasian. That's the, the emperor. So there's this exorcist who has an audience before the emperor of Rome. Okay? Uh, Vespasian and his sons and his captains and the whole multitude of his soldiers. So um, he is going to appear before the whole army. The manner of the cure for the, the demonical was this. He put a ring that had a root or a, 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 just a little hook on it to the nostril of a demoniac after which he drew out the demon through his nostrils. And when the man fell down, immediately he abjured him to return into him no more. He set a little way off a cup or a basin full of water and commanded the demon as he went out of the man to overturn it and thereby to let the spectators know that he had left the man. So this, this, uh, this uh, magician, Eleazar, what he did was he had a, a ring. Well, I can't get mine off, all right? But imagine I have a little hook. And Nathan, could I borrow your nose for a second? Come here. All right, now just stand right here, okay? Now, do you have any demons that you know of? No. Let me ask your dad. <laughs> All right, so this ring, let's say it has a, has a hook on it, and I stick it in your nose, and I'm going to pull out the demon, and... <laughs> you had one. <laughs> That's pretty hokey. But... Um, I, as I read Josephus, I got to wonder, did he buy this? Right? Or was this just, did, is, is, is Josephus laughing? I mean, it's like a performance that he does. Okay? But he may not be saying it was deceptive because he is the hired writer for the Roman uh, Caesars, and he's not going to make them look bad. But just from reading this, this was a magic trick. Okay? Now, you go, well, that's all interesting. What's the point? Here's the point. Whatever view you take of who the sons of the Pharisees were who were casting out demons, whether they were genuine, they were unbelievers whom God was using, or whether they're frauds and failures, here's what Jesus is saying. You are so blind if you see all that I'm doing pillaging Satan's kingdom, 
And your conclusion is that I'm of Satan, not of God. You know, in uh, Matthew's gospel, the same phrase, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. We're going to look at that next in Luke. But the very next thing Jesus says is this, therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. What, what does that mean? What's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? This is the number one question people call into open line. Dr. Rodelnik, what does it? what's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Have I committed it? Well, if you're calling into a Christian radio program, you probably haven't committed it. The, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is this. When God so clearly reveals truth to someone, like Jesus is the, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit externally makes that truth crystal clear to the person, undeniable, yet the person still refuses to embrace the truth, God may hand them over to a hardened heart. There's a point of no return. So what's the implication? Maybe you've gone to a church like this, maybe kids, you're brought up in a Christian family. You go to youth group. You go to, uh, you go to whatever programs we have. Um, yet, no. I know it's true, but no. I'm not going to let God take away my fun. There's a point where that rebellion against the truth is irreversible. Now, I don't know where that point is. But I do think Jesus warns us that when you see God working so clearly, yet you reject it, you can be handed over to a point of no return. So that's the first point. Now, the, uh, how much time do we have? We have, ah, we've got plenty of time. Um, to cover the next two points, I'm going to do it shortly, in a shorter period of time. Okay. His second point is this. Far from being in league with Satan, I am plundering Satan and his kingdom. Okay? So here's how he says this with this little parable. When a strong man, fully armed, now the strong man is Satan here. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his own kingdom, his goods are safe. And his goods are people got people who are possessed, people who are deceived. His kingdom is full of people. And he's a strong man. He's got armor. armor. He's, he's uh, strong. He can protect his people. But when one stronger, who's that? Jesus. But when one stronger than he attacks him, what does that tell you? This, this is not Star Wars with a dualism, the dark side and uh, the good side and the bad side of the force, and we don't know who's going to win. No. Jesus is stronger here. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. The spoils are us. You know what Jesus is saying? This is cosmic. I have come to rescue 
people who are, are trapped in Satan's kingdom and rescue them and bring them into my kingdom. That's what's going on here. I'm not in league with Satan. I am defeating Satan. Now, to, to understand this, I think we need to realize how, how Jesus plundered the kingdom of Satan. You know, if you do a word study in the Gospels of the word demon or demons, guess how many times, I always love to throw this, this a number question out. How many times does the word demon or demons appear in the Gospels? Teresa, what do you think? Wow. How did you know that? Yeah, no, it's 67, so you're way off. <laughs> So this is, this is not, uh, uh, boy, he did one, one exorcism in Galilee and one, 67 times demon or demons, and I didn't count Satan, um, uh, are, are mentioned. So look at, for example, well, the, I, I, I didn't put this one up, but uh, in Capernaum, where, where Peter lived, it says they brought all in Capernaum who were sick and demon-possessed, and he healed or cast the demons out. And then, here in Matthew 4, so his fame spread throughout all Syria. So here's, here's Galilee where he's ministering. This is Syria. His fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all. Now, I think all modifies all these phrases. All the sick, all those afflicted with various diseases and pain, all those oppressed by demons, those, all those having seizures and all paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea, Judea and beyond the Jordan. Here's Syria. Here's Galilee where he's, uh, he's ministering. Here's the Decapolis. Uh, here's Judea and, uh, did he say Samaria? Nope, Samaria didn't get it. Um, but beyond the Jordan. This was not a small, little, one-time thing. He is casting out demons left and right. Now, remember when he went uh, to the graveyard and the man comes up to him who is possessed by a legion of demons. Legion was a term for 6,000 Roman soldiers. And he casts the legion of demons into a herd of 2,000 pigs, and they all run off the cliff. I don't think it was just one or two. There could have been thousands of demons in this one guy. Then, remember, Jesus gives authority to his apostles over demons, and they go around casting them out and preaching the gospel. Then he gives authority to 72 to go out to all the cities of Jerusalem. And it says the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. This was a massive assault upon the kingdom of Satan. And then Paul says this in Colossians, God having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside nailing it to the cross so all the sins of everybody who would ever believe in Jesus are nailed to the cross, paid for. There's no basis for accusation anymore. And then Paul says this, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's 
a reference to satanic powers and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So put that all together. Jesus is saying, you know, thank you for raising that point about Satan. I'm not on Satan's team. I have come to destroy Satan. Don't put me in Satan's camp. All right? Last thing. Jesus says you need to definitively choose for me. Whoever's not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. So I think a lot of people have this view of, uh, of spiritual neutrality. They, they view that, hey, there's a handful of occultists over here, Satanists who've given their life uh, to Satan, and uh, they're practicing weird occultic rituals. And then on the far other side of this line, there are um, some really like sold-out, born-again Christians but most people are in this middle ground. They haven't given their life to Satan. They haven't given their life to Christ. But, but they're, they're in neutral ground. Okay. Jesus is saying there's no neutral ground. You're either in one kingdom or the other. For those listening on the internet, there's two circles touching each other. You are either in Satan's kingdom or you are in Christ's kingdom. Which one are you in? You can't just be neutral. If you're not in Christ's kingdom, you are in Satan's kingdom. And if you are in Christ's kingdom... Have you proclaimed it? You say, how do I do that? Do I walk an aisle? Do I sign a card? Well, Jesus came up with this thing called get baptized. Right? Why wouldn't you? Well, I'm, I'm still, I'm, not, I'm a Christian, but I'm, I, uh, why not? Okay. Now, let's not forget the second part of the verse, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Right. Are you actively gathering people into the kingdom? In other words, are you doing evangelism, trying to bring people to Jesus? You know, a disturbing amount of Christians say they think it's wrong to try to convert people from their worldview to Christianity. Because, here's the reasoning, Jesus said do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I don't want people trying to convert me to their religion, so I won't do it to them. I'm being Christ-like. But Jesus says, if you're not gathering, you're not neutral. 
you are scattering by not gathering. This verse should radically shatter our passive view of evangelism. You know, we should get tattooed. Tattoos are in. Right? Once you get a tattoo that says, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And when somebody says, hey, what's your tattoo mean? Say, sit down. Now, don't be a jerk. Don't be overaggressive. But if you don't at least have a desire to lead people to Jesus, you know what he's saying? You're not in his camp. Now, one last thing. He gives this kind of a parable of uh, the demon who's cast out. Right? And he comes back with seven of his friends. And here, the simple point is this. I'll tell you what, what it means. Moral reform is not the same as salvation. Moral reform is not the same as salvation. So here's the parable. When an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, so Jesus or one of his 72 or one of his 12 has cast a demon out of you. Okay. Now, there's nothing said here about you becoming a follower of Jesus, receiving Jesus. It's just the demon has been cast out of you. It passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house, and Matthew's gospel says it finds the house empty. Okay, In other words, the demon went out, but nothing filled it like the Holy Spirit. Okay. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, and Luke has swept and put in order. So this guy's gotten his life together. Then it, the demon, brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. Why? Because it was cast out, but the person never filled themselves with Christ. So let me, let me put it real starkly. You can go to AA and get your sobriety in order. You can go to Weight Watchers and get your weight in order. You can go to the gym and get your muscles in order. You can go to Financial Peace University, Christian program, get your finances in order. You go to marriage counseling, get your marriage in order, and think you're a Christian. And Jesus would say, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world by getting his life organized and in order and swept clean? yet not receive me and die and lose his soul. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your power. And we are reminded, Lord, there's no neutrality. There's no straddling the world of Christ and the world of the world, the world of Satan. Lord, I pray that all of us today would flee to you. Pray for those who are in the mushy middle. Lord, my fear is that people 
stay there long enough and they go, their hearts become so hard that there's a point of no return. And may that thought terrify us, Lord. May we cling to you. Pray against excuses. I want to have my fun now. There's plenty of time for that later. I'm not so sure Christianity's the only way. I don't know if I can trust the Bible. Holy Spirit, break through. Soften hearts and may we all cling to Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. King and authority over all other powers and authorities, including Satan. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.